0: Thank you. It is so good to have the, the scripture sung before we even have a chance to, to read it. Um, this morning, as they had sung, we're going to look at Psalm 139. We are doing a sermon series called Honest Prayers, where we're looking at the various psalms to, to learn how we can pray or be guided in how we can um, pray to God in different situations. So I have a uh, handout with both the scripture and um, also some quotes from a book that I'm going to go through, because I know when you get hear quotes, it's sometimes hard to follow along. So if you didn't grab one of these, I would invite you to, to grab one real quick, but um, to start off, I'm not going to read the entire psalm right off, just because it's it's fairly long, and we're going to read through it as we walk through the Psalm 139. But I'm going to read the first six verses, just that we might hear it this morning. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. This is God's word for us this morning. So, Melissa Odin wrote the book called "You Carried Me," and I'm going to be quoting from it. Um, but when she was 14 years old, she learned a secret about her life that devastated her. Um, she and her older sister were both adopted. Her older sister Tammy, and that wasn't the secret. They they knew they were adopted. But, but Melissa knew very little about her birth mother and, or the story of her birth, only that her mother had given her life and then given her up for adoption. So as she was growing up, Tammy, her sister, older sister Tammy um, got pregnant as a teenager. And so this was a Christian family, and they were talking, the parents were talking to Tammy about what to do And they wanted to urge her away from abortion, Um, knew that they knew that abortion was wrong. And so they told her Melissa's secret in order to help convince Tammy to to go through with the childbirth. And that was Melissa was a survivor of abortion. And um, so they were sisters, right? What do sisters do? Do they ever fight? I don't, my, my two girls never fight, of course, but uh, I've heard such things. And uh, in one of the verbal battles, Tammy um, could not help but tell Melissa the secret. So that's how Melissa learned that she, her, her, she was intended to be aborted, but she somehow survived. And it floored her. And so first thing she does is she confronts her her mother, her adopted mother, and she says, is this true? And she said, yes, it's true. And here's how she responded. It says, I sat for a moment in utter disbelief. How was this even possible? And then I fell into my mom's arms and sobbed. My tears gave way to questions but mom had very few answers. She knew only the barest outline. She had been told that my birth mother had an abortion at St. Luke's Hospital in Sioux City and that my body had been laid aside on the assumption that I was dead or dying, but a nurse heard me whimper, realized I was alive, and saved my life. Those facts didn't satisfy. I wanted to know why, not how this became an emotional, emotional burden that Melissa would just continue to struggle with. But she put up a good front. She she um, didn't, didn't show her, her struggle on the outside. And in fact she sort of embraced her, uh, her the new truth and she was confirmed in her church and uh, she chose as her Memory verse, Jeremiah 1.5, which says, Behold, or before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And so she made that her special memory verse. Um, it says, To everyone I seemed happy, healthy, hardworking, and well-liked. To my parents I was the perfect child, responsible, obedient, successful. They were amazed and relieved by how well I had handled the terrible truth they had shared with me. But she wasn't handling it well. And she began to spend a lot of time alone. Began to be, feel overwhelmed by the, the, what she had learned. And then she started keeping her own secrets. Started engaging in destructive behaviors. She would drink herself into oblivion. Um, she started controlling her eating, became anorexic, where she felt that was the one area, what she ate, she could control. And even though she'd promised herself she'd never go this far, she began um, venturing into bulimia, which is where you, you vomit back up. You overeat and then, and then vomit it up. And so things weren't going well for her, but no one knew. As I said, Melissa was raised a believer. She, she had followed the Lord, put her faith in the Lord, but was keeping her, it was she's starting to drift from church and, and that aspect of her life. And for a few years, that was her story. That was how she lived. But she began to sense this is not working. And she knew she needed to come back And she she came to the Lord and says, I began to cling to Jesus in prayer. And as I did, I felt the guilt and shame and self-loathing that had defined me for so long begin to slip away. I still felt deeply damaged. And though, like the psalmist who wrote, I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Slowly, with God's grace, I was able to turn my gaze from my inward pain and look anew on the world around me. She came back to the Lord, and he began to heal her heart. But there was yet another secret, one that Melissa would not learn for much later. She decided she wanted to try to make a connection with her, her birth mother, who she knew nothing about. And so she began to search for details. And she told her story publicly. And so that actually led to contacts and and the ability to get new information. And when she was older, in her adult years, a half-sister of hers contacted her. She had become publicly known. And so her her half-sister contacted her and she brought her to her birth mother and it's only then that she learned the rest of the story that her birth mom never knew that her baby, Melissa, had survived. Her birth mom's mom, the grandma, in other words, was a nurse. And she was so embarrassed by her daughter being pregnant out of wedlock that she had basically compelled, forced her daughter to get the abortion. And so the birth mom, in being drugged for the operation had no clue what was going on. And when Melissa was born alive, the grandma made sure she never saw her. And so, and told her later the baby was dead. So 30 years later, she finds out she was alive after all. What a story. What a story. And I share this not just because it's an interesting story, but because it highlights one of the truths I want us to take from Psalm 139 is that God knows us. He knows our story better than we even know it ourselves. God knows the deepest parts of us, the things that we don't even know about our own history, about the own circumstances of our lives. Um, He knows the things that are beyond our grasp. He knows the depths of our heart and spirit. He sees into us The things that we can't see clearly for ourselves. We see through a mirror dimly. But God's spirit sees into our heart like an open book. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it Completely. The Lord our God knows us. Knows us beyond any other person. He searches past the outward facade. You know what a facade is? It's the outward face we put that looks good. I think our culture has trained us to put up a good face. Right? What what picture do you have highlighting either your Facebook page or for those who are younger than forty, your Instagram or whatever it is, whatever it is you crazy kids are using nowadays, what, that, What picture do you put up to represent you? You know, I know for me, I have when I was uh, doing a, a bike around Ohio tour thing I did, and you know, I look all gruff and I'd been riding in the rain, and you know, I'm not some wimpy pastor, right? I can bike fifty miles if I have to. You know, what picture? I we all want to put forward. An image that we want people to see. The point is, God sees past the image. He sees us and He knows us. The word know in Hebrew is yada. And it's not just know as in know the facts, it's to know relationally. And and in fact, it uses the word, it says, Adam knew his wife, yada, Eve. And they gave birth to a son. That kind of knowledge, that relational, intimate knowledge. He is familiar with all, the, all our ways. He, he knows the facts when we sit, when we rise, how we spend our time, our habits. He, he also knows the things that are invisible. You know, he knows what we're going to say before we say it. He knows what we really wanted to say and we held back. And hopefully he gives us credit for that. Um. He knows the intent of your heart when you say it. Our God knows. Is that scary? To think you're known that well? Verses 5 and 6. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. How do you react to the truth that God knows you that deeply? Now, here's the thing. If God is some uncaring, distant deity, it feels like we're trapped. We're hemmed in, right? Behind and before. But if we know God and know his his grace and love and character. You see, Jesus came, the son of God, came to reveal to us what God is really like. And God's love and grace is so good. God is so much better than we realize. And, and Jesus said, God is like a father who is watching over and cares for his children. If you want to have one image of what God is like, that's the image Jesus majors in. God is a father who cares for his kids. Then it's not so scary that God knows us. It's like the father who puts his hand on the back of his son or daughter. You hem me in. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. It goes on, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Can we run from God? Many have tried. But wherever we go, he's there. If we go up to the heavens, he's there. What if we go the opposite direction? What if we go to the depths of the sea? He's there. It even implies in some of this that he's in the grave, even in death, he's there. I want to think for a minute about this, though. We sort of take this for granted. Oh, God is everywhere, God is in everything. We, we kind of got that, and we got that from here. But that was not the view of the ancient world about the gods and how they worked. Maybe, maybe you had to study Greek mythology in, in high school. Let's see if you know a few, few, few questions. From where does Zeus rule? On Mount Olympus. Yes. So if you want to find Zeus, you go to Mount Olympus. Um, who's the god of the sea? Neptune is Roman. Poseidon is Greek. They're the same. Yeah, okay. Um, this is a tougher one because there's more, a few different answers. But who's the goddess of the moon? There's Luna or Diana in the Roman. It's Artemis or Selene. Again, there's more than one that could be credited with the moon. That's a tough one. Here's an easy one. God of the underworld. 80s, right? So in other words, the gods of the ancient world had their locations where they would be found. The Lord God is different. There's, the Lord God is two things. Where can you find him? There's two completely different answers that are absolutely true. One is God is transcendent, which means he is beyond and above the universe that he created he, he is holy, holy, holy as the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Before the universe existed, he existed himself. He was there. He can't be a part of the universe because he was there before the universe was. He is transcendent. He is outside this universe and even the timeline of the universe. So God is transcendent. But the exact opposite of transcendent is imminent. Imminent. The Lord God is also completely imminent. He is in our midst. He is with us. There's no part of of this created universe where God is not in touch with through his spirit. When we say, "Where, where is God? We think, well, God, our Father who art in heaven. Heaven is not a part of this universe. It is, you could say, maybe another dimension But, and it's the heavenly throne room from which God rules, but heaven is in touch with every single space in this universe at any given moment, so that there's no part within this universe where God is not through his spirit. Is there any place where God is not? There is one, and God had to create it specially for one purpose. It is the, um, the place he created for the angels who rebelled against him. There was a third of the angel, in, heavenly host who decided they did not want to serve and be in God's presence. And so God created the one place outside where he is, where he is not, and that is, we call it hell. The eternal place of fire and judgment. God is everywhere else. But that was not made for us. It was made for the rebel angels. And God would have none go there. His desire is that every person, each person, to come and be forgiven and set right right with him. But for those who would not yield their hearts to the God of love, those who insist, I want to go my own way, I don't need you, God. I want to be where you're not. There is only one place ultimately left to go. Verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. We don't have to hide in the darkness, God sees out into our hiding place. And in fact, maybe you've experienced darkness in your heart and life. Know that, that the Lord, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God can come in and bring light into the darkest places that we live in. And that's his desire, is to come into our lives when we trust in him we, we know we can open his life and he will bring new light and new life. And we need not fear ever being separated from him again. He becomes with us eternally. That's what it means to trust in the Lord Jesus and experience his eternal life. And that's available to any who will turn to him. Verses 13 to 16. From our earliest moments in the mother's womb, God has been at work within us. We know from science that our physical development is determined greatly by our DNA, which we get from our, our, our parents, from each parent. Um, more recently, um, they're discovering that it's not just DNA, though. There's also epigenetic markers, epigenetic information embedded in the cell walls, especially of the egg cell of the mother. And that that has a lot to do with determining how we develop and grow. So there's still mysteries that scientists are plumbing about how we, are, are, how we come to be physically. But that's only our physical development. God is also active invisibly As we grow physically, to form us as a living being, a person with a soul and with awareness, he knits us together within the womb. There's something in us that's more than physical, and that comes from God's work within our inner being. This has implications. And one of the implications is that those who trust in God's word cannot believe the lie that a baby growing in the womb is not a person, that it's just a blob of cells that can be disposed of or even have the body parts be sold for profit. We cannot believe that lie. It is God who gives us life, it is not for us to take it away abortion is the intentional killing of a baby in the mother's womb, and except in exceedingly rare cases where the mother's life is at major risk, it's wrong. It's not God's intention for us people to do that. In my lifetime, I won't tell you exactly how old I am, but but in my lifetime, since the, the 70s, the... the thankfully, the number of abortions has been slowly declining. It's still way too many. I believe there's still in the 700,000s per year. It was over a million per year at one point. Um, It's one area that, that Christians are actually having an impact on within our culture. Sometimes it feels like our culture is going a completely different way. But in this issue we have actually seen, um, seen minds changed and the attitudes show that, that we're having an impact. And I was thinking about why. I don't think it's because of the political debate and arguing that we do. I'm more and more convinced that, that no one can be argued into, especially on this issue, no one's mind is changed by argument. But you know what I think has, has really made a difference is what have Christians done the last 40 years? They've developed crisis pregnancy centers in just about every town. We were in a very small town in, in Ohio. They had crisis pregnancy centers that, that would, for a, a woman who was going to have the, you know, pregnant, they would give them support and help so that they could have the child. What do Christians do? They form adoption agencies, and foster care um, options. Um, Young Lives. I know a ministry this church has supported. Tries to uh, help specifically teenage moms. In, in supporting them. In being mothers. And, and learning what that means. And I think it's showing the love and grace. To those in need. That has helped us. Make an impact on the views of the world. I think we need to be aware as Christians, that we don't speak, that we don't come across as angry or judgmental and, and view this purely as a culture war battle. Instead, I think we can be more persuasive by, by showing the love of Christ no matter where we do in those specific ways. Melissa Oden, if, if you want to read more her story for yourself, I'd encourage it. It's called You Carried Me. After she finally started to learn her story, she, she became invited to, to tell it um, and got invited to more and more speaking engagements. It became a regular thing. And she was surprised. She kept encountering people who, who wanted to talk to her after her talks, who come up to her and, and just felt compelled that they had to, to share with her. And she said it was women who had an abortion or men that played a part in maybe paying for or compelling an abortion. And they had kept that secret for years. And they felt guilt and shame, but they could never tell anyone. And finally, because they heard her tell her story, they were finally able to tell someone what had happened to them and what they had done. And she was able to point them to the forgiveness and peace of Jesus. From her book, she says, Mahatma Gandhi once said, forgiveness is a virtue of the brave. But I think the truly brave are those who ask for forgiveness. We all need to be forgiven. Everywhere I went, it I seemed I met someone who was suffering because they desperately wanted to ask forgiveness from a child whose death from abortion they had somehow helped the cause. I came to understand that part of my mission was to be a voice of forgiveness to them. Friends, I don't know where you're at with this issue. Um, And I'm sorry if this topic caught you by surprise. It was not my goal to blindside anyone, but I I wanted to teach clearly what the Bible teaches. But most, most of all, I want you to know that whatever secrets you are carrying, you can bring them to the Lord and find forgiveness. Whatever secrets in your heart you need to unburden, He's ready to hear you. Verse 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake, I am still with you. David is in just an awe of God's knowledge. I mean, think about it. If God knows every thought you've ever had, and there are billions of people, <laughs> that's that's pretty significant. That, that outnumbers the grains of sand on every beach in the world, right? He um, says, where i to count them, you know, there'd be just too many to consider. And, and what do you think happens to David in this? Where I'd count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. He falls asleep. He's thinking about how awesome God is. And he drifts into restful sleep. Maybe you were with us, I think it was two or three weeks ago, when we were doing Psalm 63, which David also wrote, and he was talking about his struggle with sleeplessness, how he would pray to God through the watches of the night because he couldn't fall asleep. And now we see he's praying to God, and he falls into a restful sleep, and he awakes, and God's still there with him. That is God's presence in our life. The next section is a change of tone. Verse 19, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. Oh, wait for me, you bloodthirsty, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. <laughs> Whoa, David. All right, we got it. Um, it. It sort of switches from God, you're so great, to I hate them, you know, um, why the switch? Why the change in tone? What's going on here? I think there's three things happening. First of all, this is honest prayer. David is bringing his true feelings to God about people who do evil, right? He, he's envisioning things that have happened that should not happen and saying, God, I hate this. It's his true feelings. And what, And we can bring our true thoughts, true feelings to God in prayer. Secondly, I believe this is an expression of loyalty. David is making it clear he is on the Lord's side against those who oppose God. Those who've taken sides against God, David is on, God, I'm on your side. I'm not with those others. I'm not going to be sympathetic to those who spend their life working against you, God. I'm with you. And then the third thing that's going on, and I think David is working it through, the the concept of hate the sin, but not the sinner, right? God does want his people to hate and work against evil and injustice. We should hate sex trafficking. We should hate it with a passion. We should hate child abuse, and the hurt and evil that is done. Jesus said those who abuse children, it would be better for them to have a millstone draped around their neck. And they would be dragged to the bottom of the ocean than to face God with what they've done. God hates that stuff. And we should hate it too. There is a false forgiveness that's not real forgiveness. But instead is apathy complacency to evil. And it ends up making excuses because it's too hard to face up to the wrong that's been done. Now, we can hate the wrong that's been done and still learn to offer forgiveness to the person. But we do not ignore the deed that they've done. Romans twelve twenty one points the way it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now bringing us to the end, the last two verses. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God knows better than us what needs fixed within our hearts. We can come in prayer. You are invited to come in prayer and bring to God the deepest secrets And he will actually reveal to us the things in our lives that need to be addressed, things that we don't see ourselves. He can free you from chains in your life that you don't even know are there. There are depths in our heart that only God knows. Prayer is not just for asking God for stuff, asking God for healing coming to God with a list of things. Prayer is for inviting God to search into your life and show me how to how to live. Show me what, what I need to, to be healed from, God. I guarantee you every person here has something, some hurt, some wound, some struggle in your life where you need the, the touch of God's healing. And you, it, that, that wound is causing you to do damage to those around you. And you don't even know it. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. What if you join the adventure of, of praying like that? Maybe even set aside some time, extra time, a morning away, a day away, um, a special time or you go hike, or you get, but you get alone with God and you, you give him access to you to start pointing out things. Maybe you have a journal with you and you start writing, God, what, what's going on? And, and it may start with you just writing what's happened in your life, but as you do, and you do it prayerfully, God can, can begin to, 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 to reveal to you things that need to, to be addressed, hurts that you need to see. I tell you that as God reveals those things to us, it is life-changing, it is heart-changing, and it could start this morning. As we go in to share together in the Lord's Supper. Um, it is a normal practice to, to begin with the time of reflection. Personal confession. So what I want you to do is repeat with me. Verses 23 and 24. And make that your prayer. And we'll have a short time of um, where you can reflect and pray and confess to God together, but can reread 23 and 24 together. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Spend a minute in personal prayer.